Gospel of John, chapter 15, please. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Some of Jesus' words hit us like two-by-fours across the forehead. We've been talking about the love of God, the love of Jesus, and we've been saying, what does Jesus say about love? In the first three Gospels, uh, Jesus is recorded in all three of them that Jesus says that if we would follow him, we have to deny ourselves. Tough words. Deny ourselves. In other words, if we would know his love, experience that relationship with him, we have to deny ourselves. It's a hard sell, I think, in our world. A very old Broadway song says, I can't be right for somebody else if I'm not right for me. I've got to be free. I've got to be me. It's an old song, maybe, but I think it expresses a very modern sentiment. I think many people would agree with that sentiment. Maybe most people. If I deny myself, in other words, if I say no to my own desires, my own sense of who I am, then what's left? What's left? Some some kind of zombie walking around without any, any brain, any desires, any passions. What about me then? And, and the real question in this context, context is then, would somebody who loves me ever ask me to deny myself? So I'd like to think about self-denial. Because here's Jesus, God incarnate, God who is love incarnate. He says to follow him, we must deny ourselves. And I'm going to get to that text in uh, the Gospel of Mark in a few minutes, but I'd like to begin with John chapter 15 first, the text that was read. And here's the plan. I'm going to talk about how denying ourselves is for the sake of his love, and then how we find ourselves through his love, and that how we enjoy ourselves in his love. So let's start first with denying ourselves for his love. Because the question is, why would I ever say no to what I want? Does that ever make sense? I can imagine other people saying no and denying me what I want, but why would I do that? 
So let's just summarize where we are. Two weeks ago, we looked at this simple but profound phrase that God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. That means that his very nature is love. That just as he's holy and righteous and good and faithful and true, so he's love. Everything he does is done in a loving way. For example, he's a creator. But when he created, everything he designed, everything he created was done with a loving purpose. You might say he couldn't help it. I mean that in a reverent sense, but I mean by that that his very nature is love. So everything he does expresses his love. So we saw also then that what was created was sort of twisted and cracked by sin. And so this world is now in the process of being redeemed, bought back. And that's why we saw we can't just talk about love as though, we, as though it has nothing to do with God because the love that we experience has cracks and twists in it. We can't say, well, as long as people love each other, who cares what the Bible says? Because true love, which comes from God, who is love, reflects everything that God is. His holiness, his righteousness, his faithfulness, his truth, his divine purposes as revealed in the scriptures. The second thing we saw last week was, as a result of this twisting and cracking, that when God came to our planet, Jesus, who was God incarnate, he came preaching the good news of love, and the very first word he said was, repent. We saw it in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. It sounds like a very harsh word, but we saw that it was really an expression of God's love. It means turn around, turn back and experience God's true love. And we saw that the word repent actually expressed God's willingness in Christ Jesus to do the hard labor, we would say the excruciating labor, which it took, namely the cross, to bring back the sheep who were lost, to bring us back home into the love of God. And so now our text in John chapter 15 repeatedly says, abide in my love, live in my love. So our relationship to Christ here in this passage is described uh, not in terms of a marriage, which it is elsewhere, not in, even in terms of a familial relationship, but in terms of a garden, attended by a great gardener who lovingly cares for every single branch, and that's you and me. He knows what's happening to every branch, and day by day he tends to it. And so, chapter 15, verse 9, I'm only going to look at what this passage particularly says about our sense of self. Verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, just as the Father has loved me, so also I have loved you. Abide in my love. Remember, just as. What a powerful phrase. The Trinity has existed for all eternity in a relationship of love, abounding, eternal, infinite love. And now it says this same love in the Trinity overflows onto you and onto me. Just as, not less than, but the same quality of love that the Father has for Jesus, he has for you. And the same quality of love Christ Jesus now loves you with. And so it says, abide in my love. Remain there. That's what that word means. It's not a one-time word. It's not uh, come into that love with a certain prayer at a certain point in your time, in your life rather. It says 
live there, remain there. In fact, Jesus' own words here indicate what happens if you're broken off like a branch. It says you wither. You feel the life withering away from you. You dry up spiritually. I think we've experienced that, haven't we? When, when we've been distanced from Christ Jesus, either, well, maybe by physical presence, maybe by things in our heart that we're harboring that are contrary to the Lord, we feel our spiritual life atrophying. We know that something's wrong. And then the Lord Jesus comes to us and we hear his spirit whispering to us, remember, remember how things used to be when you were abiding in my love? And he invites us to come back. So that's the context that I want to say two things, two worrying things in this text that threaten our sense of self. The first is the word pruning. Verse 2, it says that, Every branch in me that bears fruit, the Father prunes. Pruning has to do with making adjustments in your life. Cutting off this, cutting off that, at his discretion. He gets to do what he wants to do. And the real question is, do you like that? Do you like the idea of someone messing around in your life? I don't think people like even small messing around in their lives. I mean, when you drive a car maybe especially men, don't you feel like you're the pilot and this is kind of like your console, nobody can touch it. Somebody reaches over to adjust the radio, you slap the hand, no, ask me, I'll do it. I'm the pilot. Don't adjust the heat, don't adjust the temperature, I'll do it. We feel like, yeah, this is my little world and I'll control what's happening here. I think we want to always be in control. We don't like people adjusting. Last week I offered to pick up a room where Jill keeps some of her craft supplies. And she says, nope. So I'm not going to remove it. I'm just going to turn it. Nope. And then I'll vacuum her out. Nope. I'll do it. I'll do it when I want to do it, and I'll do it if I want to do it. <laughs> and, and the truth is, I've said exactly the same thing to her. She says, can I just clean? Nope. Nope. I'll do it because I want to do it the way I want to do it. I want to do it if I want to do it. We just want to be in control. I think we're all the same way. But abiding in Jesus' love means that, well, God's going to move things around. He's going to change things. He's going to cut off and throw out things that we've grown very fond of. We want things the way we want things. And then the Father comes with his pruning shears. And we say, well, then it's not my life anymore. I don't have control of it if I don't get to decide what to do and when to do it and where to do it. It's not my life but it says he does that to every branch that's in him. Did you see that? Every single branch. Every Christian experiences the pruning shears of the Father in his life. So that's, that's scary to our sense of self. I mean, if I'm not in control of my life, then am I me anymore? But then here's a second scary word. Uh, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, there's a lot here, but just think about this very clear statement that we have to keep the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately we say, I don't really want anybody telling me what to do. I got to be me, right? Like the song says, I just got to be me. Give me your suggestions, Lord. I'm happy to take them. And if they make sense to me, I'd be happy to do them. I think 
many Christians live like that. Yeah, in time, Lord, I can't really deal with what you're saying. I'd be happy to hear you, and then I'll do them if they make sense to me. But then he repeats that in, uh, a little bit later, verses 14 and 15. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves or servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. And we think, I, I'm not sure what you're saying here. You're saying we're friends and not servants, and yet you're saying we have to do what you command us, but doing the commands of another is just what a servant does. Do this, do that, bring me that, take this out. That's what a servant does. So our response is you're destroying my freedom. You're destroying the expression of who I am, what I want to do, and when I want to do it, and how I want to do it. I just got to be me, we say. And you're taking that away from me. You're destroying my very sense of self. So that's the first thing. This text reminds us that the reason we are willing to say no to ourselves, these are the words of Jesus, is for the sake of his love, to experience his love. And then that brings me to my second, which is that we find ourselves through his love. I might add we find our true selves through his love. We deny ourselves for the sake of his love, but then we find ourselves through his love. If you would, please turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. This, uh, these words of Jesus are recorded in all, each of the first three Gospels. But look at Mark, chapter 8. It's a kind of a paradox, by the way, presented here. Deny yourself, and you'll find yourself, Jesus says. Give up your life, and then you'll find your life. The, the context is that Jesus told his disciples what lay ahead. He said he was going to be betrayed and crucified. Then he would be in the grave for three days, and on the third day he would rise again. And they didn't like that at all, not one bit. They, they rebuked him. Because what they were looking for was for Jesus to go and kick the Romans out of Israel, to set up his throne and restore the glory that King David had in the days when he ruled Israel. So Jesus' reply is in verses 34 and 35 of Mark chapter 8. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Take up your cross. Now, I think we know what the idea of the cross is. Suffer whatever the cross brings. Uh, one thing it brings is shame. If, if, it, if following Jesus brings shame, then so be it. And really, that's the last verse in Mark, Mark 38. Don't be ashamed of the Son of, of God. If it brings rebuke or mockery or discomfort, be willing to take it because you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you're following him. If it means death, and we know it does mean that for brothers and sisters throughout our church history and for brothers and sisters now living in other parts of the world. If it means death, then so be it. For the sake of your love for Christ, let it be. Take up your cross and follow me. 
and then lose your life. It says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. It's two kinds of life here, isn't it? It's saying, lose your life in the sense of give up control. Give up the wheel to another person, the steering wheel. Everything that you think you need to have for your life, give it up, and then you'll find real life, true life, that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find your place in his economy, the way he created things to be. Now, we don't like that, of course, because we, we think, well, then we become robots. You know, we're somebody who's programmed by someone else to act in a certain way, and we're sort of carrying out, you know, the, the, the motions that a robot might. That's the paradox, really a beautiful paradox that Jesus is talking about when it concerns God's love. You give up your small happinesses and the Lord Jesus Christ will give you the grand majestic happinesses that he alone can bring to your life. That's what he's saying. So you give up what you desire. That is the things that you're sure will make you happy, will fulfill your life. You give those things and the Lord Jesus will give you what will truly satisfy you. That's the exchange. It's true life. It's real life. That seems hard, I know. Just the very idea of denying yourself, say no to yourself, it just seems hard. And I think we'd be lying to ourselves if we said it wasn't hard. Abandon my very sense of self. You know, who I am, it's, it's determined by, well, my talents. Whether I'm a preacher, whether I'm a musician, whether I'm a teacher, whether I'm a carpenter, whatever I am, it's determined by my talents. It's determined by my reasoning ability, my values, the judgments I come to as to what's right and wrong or good or bad. That's who I am. It's my identity. What defines me, really, when you think about it, is the hurts I carry in my heart and, and the way I've responded to them in my life. That's what defines me in everything I do. What defines me is whether, well, whether I'm a man or a woman, whether there is such a thing as a man or a woman. What defines me is the way I seek companionship and sexual fulfillment and intimacy. All that is who I am. How can I deny that? Deny yourself, your very self. What is Jesus asking of me? And yet here's the promise. Deny yourself. Yep, say no to all the desires that are contrary to God's holy and righteous purposes, which he's told us about in his word. Say no to those desires, and you'll find your true self. You'll find your true self. Because then, the one who made you from the very beginning, the one who knows how you're supposed to operate, the one who knows your desires and your emotions and what would really satisfy you and give you joy, comes into your life. And he knows what you need more than you do. And he'll give you a new life because he loves you. Trust in his love. In the words of John 15, abide in his love. Self-denial and love. Is it surprising that these two things are put together in God's word and in God's call for us as Christians? I don't think it ought to surprise us because when you think of it, self-denial, saying no to ourselves, is a part of every loving relationship. When you examine your own relationships, you'll see that that's true. In fact, we're happy. We don't just 
aren't just forced to do it, but we're happy to deny ourselves for the sake of someone we truly love. When we love someone, we don't think, let's see, what makes me happy here? Those kinds of relationships don't last very long. Instead, we say, you know what? I know what would make her happy, and to make her happy is what really makes me happy, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make her happy. That's how it works whenever there's real love. And so what happens is we change. When we love someone else, we change because we find in ourselves this new impulse to please someone else. Not just to please ourselves, but to please someone else. It's the way love works. Even if it's twisted and cracked in this world, it's an image of the true love that comes from God. And we know how it works. Love changes us. In fact, you know it's required for a healthy marriage. This kind of self-denial, if it's not present in a marriage, will damage a marriage. It's required for every friendship. can't have friends unless this is a part of every friendship and every family. In some ways, when we love someone, self itself fades from you, from view, and we find, we find happiness in the happiness of another. We want to please someone else. A new self is formed. When we love someone else, we are changed. A new self is formed. I know that I was changed when I began to love Jill. There were some profound changes, some changes that are still taking place, and some superficial changes. But there was all kinds of changes that took place in me. A superficial change was my hair. Uh, before I met Jill, I had this long hair. Uh, and to cut it was a very easy job. I'd grab it in the back, get some scissors, chop, and it was gone. Very easy. Jill took me for the first time in I don't know how long, probably since my dad did it, for the first time took me to a barber. And you know what? I enjoyed it. You know what? I looked really good afterwards. I thought I was really happy with the way I looked. I changed. And of course, there was much more profound change that took place in me. Love changes us. And friends, The love of Christ is infinitely beyond the kinds of loves that we experience in our relationships here. And it changes us. It's supernatural. Scripture tells us that God loved you before you loved him. He knew you before the foundation of the world. Scripture says that when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, supernaturally, the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. We experience this supernatural love and it changes us. We're not the same anymore. In this love, we forget about ourselves and we live to please another. Now we live to please Jesus. It's the way love works. We know that. And so there's this wonderful definition of the Christian life, and you find it in several places in the epistles. It says, we now live to please the Lord. What's the Christian life all about? Well, I'm living to please the Lord. That's it. I want to please Jesus more than I want to please myself and to satisfy these desires that I have. And so, well, let me just give you a few examples. For example, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1, Paul says, We taught you, we told you this, how you ought to live to please God. Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 4. He he likens it to the life of a soldier. And he says, 
Our aim is to please the one who enlisted us. That's it. That's what we do. In 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verses 8 and 9, Paul talks about uh, death and life beyond and this life. He says it doesn't matter. He says, so whether we are at home in this body or away after death, we make it our aim to please him. That's the Christian life. Because we love him, we please him. So if I can pause for a moment, I want to share a secret with you. Uh, for all of you, here's a secret that we have to learn about true love. If you struggle to love people, whether it's marriage, friendship, loneliness because you don't know why people are staying away from you, here, I'm going to give you the secret right now. Happiness will not come from asking what makes me happy. Happiness, your happiness, will not come if you ask all the time, let's see, what makes me happy? Friendships then fail. Marriages spin apart, if that's our attitude. Families become dysfunctional. In fact, I, I think you'll observe this, that the most unhappy people are the ones who are the most self-absorbed. The most lonely people are the ones who are the most self-absorbed. They're always asking, do I feel accepted? Do I feel loved? Do I feel well-treated? I think you know this, right? It's people who turn every conversation into a conversation about themselves. I'm not talking about anybody here now, of course. I know that, but you know, you go, maybe you've been to the doctor and you're worried. He says, the doctor said, I have pneumonia and I'm really worried and I have to, and they interrupt. Oh yeah, you know, last summer I had a torn cartilage in my shoulder and boy I was worried about insurance and I was worried because they said I need PET scan and x-ray and then they have to do certain and pretty soon all they're talking about is themselves they've completely forgotten about you and you know what the reason is because their thoughts are all about themselves self-absorbed and people stay away sadly it's true people stay away Tim Keller the pastor and author observes this Self-centeredness destroys relationships. There's nothing that makes you more miserable or less interesting than self-absorption. How am I feeling? How am I doing? How are people treating me? Am I proving myself? Am I succeeding? Am I failing? Am I being treated justly? And friends, he's exactly right. I think we know it from our own experience, don't we? Because God didn't make us for that. That's not true love. True love is about forgetting about ourselves. That's God's love. So here's, well, real life advice for your friendships, for your marriage, for your relationships in the church. Less emphasis on yourself. Forget about yourself and abide in the love of Christ and in showing the love of Christ to others. So, Getting back to Mark chapter 8, if you lose your life, deny yourself. You will get true life. You'll learn what real love is. You'll learn what real life is all about. So Jesus is saying, if you're trying to define yourself, give up. Try to determine your identity, give up. Instead, trust your creator. Trust his word. Because he knows, he knows who you are. 
and in him you'll find real life. Many, I think, are on the road to self-discovery. I don't think it's especially true now. I, I think it's been true probably all through the generations, but certainly for decades in this country. Who am I? What do I want? Nowadays, people put it in different words. What are my passions? What should my career be? Who should I love? What's my sexuality? I, I think these are identity questions which press on, and I think they're important questions. In fact, they're far too important to rely on your feelings to get an answer to. Because I'll guarantee something, your feelings will change. These questions are so important that you have to go to the one who made you. The one who truly loves you. You have to go to the Lord God. You have to go to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we deny ourselves to find love in Jesus. And then, we, we find that we find ourselves, you might say, through his same love. And then lastly, we enjoy ourselves in his love. So what Jesus is promising in Mark chapter 8 is a new life. Really, if you read between the lines, John 15 is pointing to exactly the same thing. A changing, constantly sanctified life by the hand of the Father. A new life. And this is because he loves us. We find enjoyment of life, of this new life, in his love. I know you've heard the story of Pinocchio. I bet you all have. Uh, Disney has come up with several versions of it, cartoon versions. But it's interesting that the original story was written in 1848 by Carlo Lorenzini. And that original story has some very strong biblical themes in it. The, the Disney versions have some remnants of that still in the story, but not the clarity with which that original was written. For example, the, the puppet, Pinocchio, made out of wood, you remember, was rebellious against his father from the day of his creation. Just as we were created, and we rebelled against God the Father from the very beginning. Pinocchio had many troubles, and, and that's, of course, the main part of the story. But then his father goes to search for him. You remember that? And the father ends up in the belly of a whale, and there Pinocchio finally founds, finds his father, and there there's repentance and reconciliation with his father. How can we as Christians read that and not see the clear image of who else was in the belly of a fish? Jonah. And how Jesus said that just as Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days, so he would be in the grave for three days and then rise again. And how in his death and resurrection we find redemption and reconciliation with God the Father. And then here's something interesting. At the very peak of repentance in the book, not the movie, Pinocchio the puppet cries out, Oh, that I might be born again. And then you know what happens. The wooden puppet whose identity, who thought all he was was a wooden puppet, all he ever could be was a wooden puppet. The one who was defined by his wooden body, even though he had longings to be more, was changed. 
He was transformed and he became a real boy. That's the kind of transformation Mark chapter 8 is talking about. That's what the Lord God of love does to us. Give up your life and you'll find real life. You'll find who you really were meant to be. The one who the creator made you to be. The real you. What is the new life like? Well, if you flip back to John chapter 15, here's a brief description. Let me just mention three things that it describes about the new life. Remember, this new life is what we lost in Eden. The the one that was twisted and marred because of sin. The, The kind of life that God the Father is restoring for each individual Uh, man and woman that he created. So first we find, verse 2, that the great gardener will be busy in your life. That's a good thing. The father will be pruning and cutting. He'll be throwing away all those things that you've been hoarding. Bitterness, guilt, fear, anxiety, rebellion. All those things that litter the hallway so that you can't even walk without stumbling over them. Uh, God the Father will be pruning and taking out all those things that clog the arteries of our life. And I think we need that. Don't you need that? Don't you need someone to do that? I, I do. I need someone to prune me so I'll be a better father and a better husband. Don't you need that in every relationship that you have? Don't you need that to live before God on this earth? And so this loving friend, wouldn't it be great to have one, a wise, powerful, loving friend who cares about you and your welfare coming in, moving into your life and telling you what has to go so that you'll be free, you'll experience liberty and joy and happiness in him. Makes us say, prune me, Lord, prune me. Here's the second thing. It's in verse 7 of John chapter 15. It's the loving attention of the creator of heaven and earth on you. The ears of God himself tuned to your prayers. I will hear your prayers abide in my love. It's, It's Jesus saying, go ahead, ask. Go ahead, I'm listening. Why are you quiet? Speak. Abide in his love. And then his eyes turn to you in love every time your heart turns to him in prayer. That's the new life. And here's the third thing. Verse 11, joy. I've come that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. Joy, unspeakable joy. Satisfying joy. Jesus' joy. Joy that overflows, right? that your joy might be full. My cup runs over, said the psalmist in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What a joyful thing that is to know that that's true. That the triune God is with you all the days of your life. No matter where you go, no matter what you do. Abide in my love. I know self-denial sounds hard, but we are happy to do it for the sake of love. And we do it for the sake of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, here's the truth. And you'll see this. Love defines us. Who we love defines us and who loves us defines us. That relationship identifies us. It determines, you might say, our identity. And we're seeing it in our world all the time, isn't it? 
the kind of relationship I'm in, that's who I am. And friends, here's what I'm saying. For us, the relationship that defines us, us as Christians, at its very root, at our foundation, is the Lord Jesus Christ and our love for him. And that colors, transforms every other identity that we have. So friends, what defines you at your very root? Your identity, listen to this, is not your politics. I know you think that as the election approaches. It's really not, not for us as Christians. What defines you is not your marital status. What defines you is not your sexual identity. It's not your job. It's not your race. It's the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let the world know that that's what defines you. Let the world know that. Christ Jesus loved me before I loved him. He redeemed me. He saved me. His love has captured me. And from now on, if you want to know who I am, I'll tell you who I am. I live to please him because I love him. Amen. Lord Jesus, we do love you. We thank you. And as you've pointed out, you loved us before we loved you. Your love captured our hearts. Let that love grow and prosper in all of us, Lord, who are listening to this. And in your love, Lord, let us be secure and strong. Do your work in the hearts of all those that you love because we trust you. We love you and so we trust you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Everyone's trying to define you. You know that. The media, the songs you hear, the news, colleges, schools, the government. The whole world is trying to determine who you are, what your identity is. I especially say to young people, but it's true of everybody. Everybody's trying to define you all. But you know what? They all have their agendas. They don't love you. They didn't give their lives up for you the way the Lord Jesus Christ did. Abide in his love. Trust him to tell you who you really are. And so that's my benediction. May your trust in Jesus Christ grow and grow as you experience the breadth and depth and length of the love God has for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.